Gene, how are you going? Oh, can't hear you, Adi. Oh, good morning to to you. I was just waiting for my uh, thing to to come in and take me off unmute. And that, uh, how are you travelling this morning, Apricot? Oh, not too bad, to be honest. Um, I'll be honest, I can't wait for the campaign to be over already. <laughs> but but yeah, all all in all, tracking fairly well. What about you? Yeah, I've I've been going well. Been I was out yesterday getting my uh, tomato plants staked up and getting a bit of uh, sugarcane mulch around them and throwing a bit of feed on them, hoping I get a good haul this year. Last season was a bit bit ordinary. I don't mind sort of making a bit of tomato sauce. And we had the uh, eastern rosellas and rainbow lorikeets having a good feed on the grevillea that we've got just outside the the kitchen window. So that's that's fun to catch. That's fun to catch them. So I've oh, been excellent. having it. Yeah, I've been having a bit of a, a natural week. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, we might just jump straight into it with our first kind of bit, um, first real update on the campaign, which is we got some polling. Um, what's yeah. significant about this polling is it's from News Poll, and it does actually show a significant tightening of the race. Um, I've got it just up here. So... Basically, we've got, according to this polling, the Liberal National Coalition and the ALP tied on 37% each, the Greens on 13%, others on 13%, with the remaining percentage either non-committal or didn't answer the question. Uh, but that's translating into a two-party preferred of 54% to the ALP, uh, basically. And this is the first bit of polling since the writs have been issued. And there was some interesting, there was an interesting argument to be made that all the previous polling could sort of be discounted because voters weren't paying attention and that they've only started paying attention since the Melbourne Cup. Um, and this is really the first kind of poll since Cup Day. So, hmm, do I don't you know that? Maybe, maybe. Oh. It's hard to say. But... I will say most of the other polling I've seen has been like from Resolve or from Morgan, which I gen I generally like on principle don't put much stock in. Um, I do definitely pay more attention to a news poll. So, yeah, look, I I probably agree that uh, there's some some credence to the the news poll. It surprised me when I saw those. I, I noticed that just before I I came on that it had got that close. I've got to say my faith in polls generally have been has been shattered a little bit the last few years. Uh, there seems to be some reliability gone out of them. I personally look at that and just my feel for what's going on, that seems a hell of a lot closer than what I would have expected. If you if you had asked me to guess, I would have said it was probably closer to a you know a, a 58 42, if not 60. Uh, Forty. I can't remember what the pre, uh, like the previous results were. So it's interesting. It's all part of the uh, the the political sport. But at the end of the day, what matters is, yeah, crosses on paper, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I do actually have the previous election results here, if you'd like them. Yep. Yep. So, previously in 2018, uh, Victorian Labor recorded 42.9% of the vote. Um, the Liberals recorded 30.4% and the Nationals recorded 4.8%. So, you know, combined roughly 40, 30, sorry, 35%. Mm -hmm. Greens recorded 107 uh, and others 112 So, basically, in this latest polling, everyone but the ALP have, like, risen a bit. Uh, where they're, whereas they've gone backwards. Uh, okay, well, I suppose we, we we wait and see. It won't be the last uh, poll that we we discuss here on the the campaign check in, so it'll be something to have uh, keep an, an eye on. But that's an interesting turnaround for me. It it wasn't what I expected. Yeah, and I think kind of onto your point about how, you know, we, like we've been looking at the campaigns from the Liberal Party and the ALP and the way the Liberal Party is campaigning doesn't say this race is neck and neck, does it really? No, no. 
And I'll have a little bit more to say on that later on down the line when we look at some of the current political advertising that's been going on. Um, yep. It's going to be thrilling, folks. Huh. But in the meantime, in terms of the election coverage, what would you say have been the standout kind of things this week? Look, I, I suppose one of the standout things, and this has just been a, a recent one, it was one of our... Uh, our topics uh, is being the 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 IBAC, the Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission. Uh, the noise around that, so close to the the election, has been a, has been a, a a strong standout for for me. I mean, look, there's been the the usual sort of uh, attempts to to smear, but from a uh, an independent commission coming out this close to the election. Uh, that's that's particularly caught my attention. Uh, what what mm. about you? What, what, any particular standouts for this week for you? So obviously, I would say uh, the IBAC investigation. Um, I, I've been a little bit more interested in Andrew's response to it, to be honest, because he's gone got like he already had a press date, a uh, press release ready to go, where he's like, no, I won't be commenting on it. Um, but he hasn't ruled out now, basically, um, oh, what's the word? He hasn't ruled out, basically, what's just happened to him is the age got, has gotten a hold of a draft report, it seems. Um, and then, they, you know, they had to get an injunction, IBAC had to get an injunction to stop the age from reporting that draft report. Um, yep. <clears throat> and Andrews hasn't ruled out, basically, making this illegal in the future, you know, for journalists to be releasing and reporting on draft IPAC reports, which is a little concerning for me personally, because just because I think, you know, IPAC reports are in the public interest and they should probably be reported on, um, even if they are just drafts. Um, Oh, look, that that bothered me as well, that any time that there is uh, an an attack on, on journalists and you know, sometimes I feel like we've well, got to realise you're not the only that you're not the only special people out there. But uh, you know, they certainly have the the voice and the mechanism to get this sort of information out. That bothered me as as well. Uh, it it mm. seems to be a a, a gradual. It, once you start to introduce this gradual uh, trimming off of the edges of journalistic freedom. It doesn't tend to lead anywhere good. Uh, it, it, look, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't help his yeah his his dictator Dan nickname to be uh, to be impacting on on the media. But just as a, a a democratic structure, it's something that, in my opinion, shouldn't be touched. Particularly in this instance, where you're talking about a, a board that's specifically address, addressing corruption. It, it mm. seems I know it seems a little bit uh, a little bit blind to how people feel about it. I, I think the uh, amount of corruption that we've seen or at least discussed in the last uh, you know certainly five years, if not last last decade, makes it for at the forefront of a lot of people's mind. And I think it's a little bit blind to public opinion to to even insinuate that you might be putting the gag on journalists. Yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much agree with that. In terms of coverage, the only other thing that has really struck out to me um, is, in particular, the age cover, the ages coverage surrounding Richmond. Um, I'm, obviously, I'm a little bit biased being a member of the Greens, but it does really feel like they've sort of uh, decided to back the ALP in Richmond because if we look at their recent uh, articles about the electorate, we've got how the Labour candidate um basically has been challenged on their aboriginal identity um although the article does you know stress that she does actually have a certificate um of indigenous of aboriginality yep. uh then the article before that we've got a press thing from andrews basically telling that his volunteers that they've got to fight for richmond because they need to retain it and then before that you've got a kind of feel good story about how a school principal burst into tears when the Labor candidate promised $15 million of funding for a local school. Oh. Um, 
It, it might be simply because I am a uh, member of a political party. But in general, I see these stories and I'm like, I feel like they were probably sent to the age and that the age has just decided to publish them for the most part. But. Look, you, you could you could be right, and that's all. That is all part of the the, the game. It may well be. Um, it may well be that. But it's always fun to have a a, a speculation. Uh, why have have a bit of a speculate? Why do you think the age might be happy to push Labor in this particular seat? So, the reason being, generally, again biased you know completely biased but the greens don't tend to have too much of a fair shake in most uh media and i think the age probably considers labor to be more aligned with its interests than the greens um for, for most of like the media establishment the greens are probably considered a bit radical um and would probably cause problems if they were ever to be elected in large enough numbers Yep. So that's kind of where I'm sitting at. This also just kind of seems to be a continuation of the same editorial stance that the age has taken for really the last two years, if not longer. Um, they they did a lot of in-depth reporting on the issues at Yarra Council, you know, which is the first Greens majority council in the state. Yep. Um, and obviously that's in the public interest for the most part. But I do have an old comment flying around the subreddit somewhere where I point out that there's been like seven articles about this council um, in like the last month and they're basically all copy and paste with some words changed around. So it just kind of seemed like they were trying to keep it in the news without any real new developments. Uh, Um, Yeah, yep. But yeah. Yeah, you can can only... Go on. Oh, I, I finished yeah, look, you can only really judge them by their actions, and their actions is they're they're publishing they're publishing that. So that indicates it doesn't confirm, but it indicates um, a bias. Hmm. So we should be expecting a guest fairly soon. I'm quite looking forward to that. Before then, I'm just wondering, uh, Dean. How do you think the campaign's going around where, you know, whereabouts do you live, essentially? You know, are you seeing much signs of campaigning? Are people waking up to the fact that there's a state election or are you still that weird political nut? (laughs) Uh, I'm probably more aware of uh, of billboards around the the place. Or, well, they're not really called. Yeah, billboards and just smaller signs for the the local candidates. I have noticed that there's been there seems to be more of an an attempt to have uh, local meetings with the candidates together in order to engage people. Um, there's been a I can't remember if there has already been one of those, but there's certainly uh, a couple of them them planned. Uh, my biggest biggest thing has been noticing it, you know, our local papers have been have been talking about it because it is that it's that sort of scene. Oh, sorry, you've cut out there. My biggest one is I feel like there's more uh, just signs up for the the candidates. Right. What about well, what about in your area? Have you you noticed a difference? Not really. There's a few signs up, not more than usual. Certainly not more than the federal election. If anything, I'd say it's probably a little more quiet. I do expect that to ramp up, though. I will flag. It has been interesting. I've been seeing a lot more campaigning from the Vic Socialists, um, which which is weird. It's quite weird. I was door knocked by them. Um, they actually have signs up now. It's like, oh, okay, you guys are actually, you know, you guys are actually campaigning. That's a bit odd to see. Um, and in fact, we've they- got the uh, we've got uh, three people from the Victorian Socialists on uh, the subreddit this Monday. Uh, night the 7th of November uh, doing a Reddit AMA uh, which I can't remember if that's 6 or 7 I'll have to to check that but uh, that's interesting you mentioned them, we're getting also that uh, that AMA with them mm, Just a nice little plug there <laughs> Well, why not? <laughs> 
Yeah. But all in all, I think it's probably been, we're, we're a bit, you know, it's all quiet on the Western front at the moment. Um, it, it feels like something is about to happen. I expect the next couple of weeks to be like, you know, especially once pre-poll starts, I expect we're going to start being bombarded massively. Like I don't think we'll be able to escape any kind of advertising or things like that. And, you know, all the babies will be like held and kissed and all, you know, every, all the hands will be shaken and, I think we'll go into full campaign right around then. Yeah, look, I know we've got ads. Uh, we'll, we'll possibly be talking about that after the after the the, the guest. But yeah, look, it does it does feel like they're uh, sort of hold, holding fire a little bit till uh, till very close. Now I don't know whether that reflects uh, previous experience that people grow weary of things, whether they believe that they've got a single chance to drop bombshells and not have that countered by the uh, their opposition, whichever way you look at it, or whether uh, it's a reflection and pure speculation, uh, whether it's a reflection that uh, funds are a bit more limited this this year. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen anything, any reports on the amount of contributions to the two majors. Uh, is that ringing any bells for for you? Or I have seen a small amount. I believe it's essentially that. Um, uh, it it's also does appear like that a, a lot of traditional. Um, supporters of the Liberals aren't supporting them as much as they usually would be. So, again, kind of, you know, really highlighting their struggles at the moment. I'll just uh, interrupt you and say I think our guest has arrived. They certainly have. So I'm going to invite them to the stage now. (laughs) There we go. Good morning. So our guest today is Kate Lardner, the Independent for Mornington. Good morning, Kate. Morning. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Good morning. Thanks. So just before we really kind of jump into the interview, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? You know, why did you decide to put your hand up? Yep. Uh, So I'm a local. I was born here and I grew up here. Um, My children are being raised here um, by myself and my husband and I work as a doctor at the local hospital. And I think um, the thing that struck me most when I was working on the COVID ward at the start of the pandemic was just how short-term policy thinking had led to a complex system like a healthcare system that was ultimately... Um, letting us down because it just couldn't handle the pressure and it was failing for us as staff but also patients and their families Um, and I just thought uh, we need to start thinking in terms of long-term policy development um, and not election-centric focused policy where we're you know um, trying to win votes and and buy votes we actually need Mm -hmm. to fix the problems that we're faced with. And that includes climate change as well, which is another complex issue. But the reason I actually um, said yes to being a candidate was that I was asked by members in my community. I think our community had seen the federal election and uh, other communities have the opportunity to be represented by someone from the community and in the community um, model representing the community and they wanted that for themselves. So... I eventually came around to saying yes. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a yes first up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, that's Thanks. a strong a strong decision. And also to yeah. uh, just plug your website, katelardner.com.au. That's correct. Thank you. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Everyone. So people gets a plug. Yeah. Yep. Everyone gets a plug. <laughs> great. So, on to our first question: What? are your general thoughts on the campaign so far, just like in Mornington and the broader state in general? Um, yeah, it's, well, the campaign's going really well. There's a lot of energy behind it and it makes me think that, you know, we've done the right thing by um, by setting up this campaign because there's such a thirst for it here. We've been a safe conservative seat forever since the inception and, um, but we're lacking 
you know, we've had a lot of neglect in terms of public transport, the housing here, um, the roads, like council needs help with things like the roads, sporting and rec facilities. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of neglect and I think people are just ready for change. They've seen that it works and they want it as well. Um, right. Yeah. So you did touch on some issues there. Um, and our next question is, you know, what would you say are like the key, you know, issues for Mornington at the moment and how would you approach to fix those? Mm. There's broader kind of state level issues that people are coming up with when we've been out door knocking and speaking with people on the street. And that is health. Like people are still um, waiting days to weeks to see their GP. Um, I think, you know, the hospital system is still in disarray where they're still struggling to find staff and keep staffing levels adequate. Mm. Um, climate is coming up for people as well, I think, because it wasn't initially when we were door knocking, but then it was again. And I think that's probably because of the floods and then it connected people to the recent, oh, lettuce was really um, expensive and just that our supply chains can be cut off if there are things like wars or natural disasters and just how kind of dependent we are on our environment and supply chains. Um, so I think, and now that it's coming into summer, you know, with the bushfires in 2019, it's kind of, I think climate's back on people's agenda. <clears throat> Integrity as well is the other main thing I'm running on, which I think both major parties fall down when it comes to, um, you know, corruption and scandals and strengthening the IBAC is something that would help with that. Um, but locally as well, public transport down here has really barely existed um so when you turn 18 you get a car because you really can't rely on public transport um housing down here so um people that have grown up down here then can't afford to enter the housing market um and then people are down renting so they're you know taking up the low and middle income rental market because they want to save for a deposit which pushes other people out and they can't live here and then small business is struggling to get employees um, mm. because they can't find rentals. So there's that whole um, follow-on effect. Um, yeah, small businesses are struggling to find employees, and I think that's across the, the board. I don't think that's just here. Um, but we are kind of quite a hospitality region, so that's maybe why we, you know, it, it, has, it is front and centre for the small businesses. Um, the roads, <laughs> with all of the rain, oh. Um, oh. <laughs> are a big problem. And I think... Um, council just haven't really had much help, you know, um, with funding because we've had a Labor state government, a Liberal local MP, and because of that combination, we don't see the funding come down necessarily that we need. Yep. Um, yeah, so they're probably the main things. And then coastal erosion, there's um, some very committed and vocal groups that are concerned about our beaches not being preserved. Mm. Yeah, well, look, I'm I'm actually down on the peninsula. I'm uh, just across the other other side in Hastings from you, so I know oh, exactly yeah. what. Yeah, know exactly what you're talking about with the the roads and also the the transport. You you mentioned mm. that with yeah. Uh, yeah. with yeah, with people. And... Go on. Sorry, I think there's a lag on my end. Um, you did did you ask me to talk about the solutions? Yes. Oh, yep. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> I've only told you about the problem. Sorry. Um, and sorry to cut you off. I think it's my internet here. Um, so I think with regards to public transport, it's fairly simple. We have the technology, which are buses, and we just need to have more of them. So mm. we need a, a cross-peninsula bus. And there was a pilot program. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That oh, no sure. one knew about. Oh, um, <laughs> and they said no one used it. So you know, it's not a viable ongoing service. And I, I said, well, I don't think anyone knew about it. Um, but there's certainly a huge growing population in Somerville and Hastings, huge growing population in Mornington. So mm. I think we need a cross-peninsula bus and we need more services from Frankston Express to Dramana, Express to Rosebud, Express to Portsea, because you're sitting through 130 stops from Frankston to Portsea. It's it's ridiculous. 130? Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, it's a nightmare. And so, you know, some people go to school um, that distance to school. So, um, yeah, we need to do that. And in terms of the rail line, um, the Liberals have been pushing for a duplication and electrification of the Frankston to Baxter line, but they've been pushing for that since 2016 um, when they were in government um, and it, it didn't get done then. So I think now, given that we need to probably pull back a bit on infrastructure spending, given the economic um, environment, I think it would be better to put crossing loops in, which is a cheaper and easier alternative to make that passenger service more frequent. Um, so that, yep. that's public transport. Um, in terms of housing, it's so complex and I don't, um, I don't have the answers, but I'm committed to a process which is that we know we have around 27,000 vacant houses on the peninsula. Um, we need the actual data as to how frequently are they used, you know, where are people living, would people be amenable to open, opening that, those up to long-term rentals, what incentives would they need to do that and then we'd need experts to come up with solutions for our area specifically because we're quite unique um, in terms of also our zoning being metropolitan but having the green wedge you know 70 percent mm. of the peninsula is green wedge so <clears throat> um, I think that's a process that we need to commit to we know we need um, we do need government to step in and give more public and crisis accommodation and um, domestic violence um, housing because that's definitely you know there's a huge um, shortage of that here um, but we also need <clears throat> rental markets for low and middle income and we need um, to open up a bit of supply so that people can enter the real estate market here but um, I think that would be for someone else to determine um, yeah. yep. the policies mm -hmm. for that um, in terms of Sorry, um, if you don't mind, yeah, yeah. I, I did just want to kind of touch on uh, in terms of rental and things like that. There's, it's been said before that a lot of the these kind of you know picturesque areas, such as Mornington, um, that a lot of the stress in the housing there comes from uh, Airbnbs. Essentially, that, mm -hmm. that they're not actually being part of the rental market; they're just being short stay, almost you know, private hotels. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's having an impact there in Mornington? Um, and, yeah, like, essentially, do you reckon that's playing a part? I think it is playing a part over the peninsula in general. The question is how do we how do we deal with it? Because I've spoken to <clears throat> someone who works in housing, um, in the housing department in Canberra, <clears throat> someone who works in legal aid um, in Frankston and the CEO of the Community and Information Centre in Mornington, and um, it we really don't know yet because um, New South Wales and Queensland have caps on Airbnb and Byron Bay has brought in like a more aggressive cap and um, we're not quite sure yet what the result of that is but certainly places overseas as well that are, you know, just they've pushed out the local population, they're purely almost Airbnb. They're trying different incentives where um, if it's your primary residence you can rent it out for Airbnb but... Um, if it's not your primary residence, there are a certain number of criteria before you can rent it out. So I, I don't know if a cap's the answer or if there's some kind of incentivized program we can use for Airbnb. Um, there are 4,500 Airbnbs on the peninsula so it's and there's 27,000 vacant houses. So it's not taking up the majority of those vacant houses, which is interesting. Um, yeah. But half of those Airbnbs are for people who don't pay rates in our, on the peninsula so they're people that don't live here um, but the person I was speaking to from legal aid they said people buy into a business model when they buy a property for Airbnb so they're not in the frame of mind of opening it up to long-term rentals it's just not what they go in to do and so you can't really just change that for them so it is complex I don't know the answer I think there probably does need to be some regulation in some form but I don't know what that is Okay, well, that's a that's a fair enough thing anyway to look at what's uh, to, to take note of what's going on in other states. If you can mm. if you can leverage that experience, it's going to mm. tell you something one way or yeah. the other. You, yeah. you had also said you had a focus on the the healthcare system. Uh, I, yeah, peninsula. We've got a large number of retirees and elderly. 
Mm. Is that a focus or you're talking more about the, uh, the the system as a whole and expecting improvements to the system would then flow on to the, the, the growing retiring and elderly um, population? Yeah, I think it's across the system as a whole. I think the healthcare system has really not been able to withstand the pressure of the pandemic. And that's just highlighted the underlying problem, which is that we do politics in a way that doesn't fix things long term, but just patches us up in a way that looks good um, for voters. And that's not the way we need to be thinking. Um, across the state, so the Australian Medical Association have put out a policy platform, and I think they're really spot on. They have said the healthcare system has just been underfunded for so long, and now it's at breaking point and staffing levels are suffering. So I think it needs more funding directed towards it. Um, I think that funding, it, it's not about building new hospitals um, necessarily. It's about being smarter with the funding as well. So if, you know, Labor are talking about um, making midwifery and nursing free for students, and that's great to increase the graduate level entry um, nurses, but are we thinking about, you know, one of the high rates of burnout are the senior nurses and they they're the people who keep a ward open. So if if you don't have senior staff, you'll close a ward. So you need to also be thinking about how are we upskilling the existing nurses to become senior nurses so that we can open wards and have more beds available. Because a bed shortage is not necessarily that we don't have the actual physical beds. It can be that we just can't operate the beds at the moment. Um, other things are kind of putting more... Um, funding into primary health care, so um, community services, allied health, those areas that prevent people needing to come into hospital um, and outpatient specialist services, people kind of, it's so overrun that people will come in at 9 o'clock, they won't be seen till about 12 because you you're a waiting room full of patients and they're on a wait list to even be seen. So just putting more funding into managing people outside of the acute setting um, and also things like um, there are some things called social admissions where someone, maybe an elderly person, just can't go home at that point. Maybe they've got a back brace on, they can't manage at home. So they'll stay in hospital or they'll take up a rehab bed even though they're not actively doing rehab, but they can't, there is nowhere for them to go. So they're kind of caught in an acute system, which is a very high cost um, to the taxpayer. And what they really need is, you know, supported accommodation for a short period of time to then get home. So I think we need to think a bit more laterally on that front as well. Um, hmm. Oh, that's an, that's yeah. interesting. Having that, what you're suggesting, rather than throwing more money at, at at infrastructure, just the smarter ways to use what we've we've got and take advantage of the people that are in there, skilling them, and having that as a a flow on. Uh, effect mm. that's uh, that's that's interesting here you were going to say something else about uh the, the health uh well so that sometimes you do need new infrastructure so i think rosebud with the growing population down on the peninsula and we're expected to have two hundred thousand people by 2036 we do need you know that hospital in rosebud is just it's very it's very small and i think we do need um, more beds in Rosebud. The emergency department is 12 cubicles and during the summertime you have people waiting in the car park because it's just so mm. packed. So we do need to work out where does need more hospitals but not just kind of throw around money, you know, in a way that's um, reckless, I think. Yeah. Mm. We might move into our last question today, Kate, um, which is that there does seem to be a lot of concern on the peninsula regarding, like, the metro slash rural uh, status. Mm. So particularly when, you know, you when we're discussing the green wedge there, what's mm. your position on the status of Mornington? Yeah, this has become just a highly politicised issue and I think because of the lockdowns um, and being metropolitan, we got lumped in with that it's now um, been jumped on as um, an opportunity to make it a political issue. And it's actually, people are very confused about it. So um, we're currently metropolitan and um, we are metropolitan because we house the Green Wedge um, for Melbourne, which is Melbourne needed, when it was setting up the city, it needed to have a certain amount of green space. And so they put it down on the peninsula. Um, 
if you are regional, that regional means that you're underdeveloped and that you encourage development. So the grants, the funding that goes towards regional areas is to increase development, improve local economy, jobs, um, you know, build more houses, that kind of thing. So Geelong mm. is going to be Melbourne's second city. It's regional and it's getting pumped with things because it it they want to develop it. The Gold Coast equally is regional and they have just developed that to the nth degree. So if we become mm. regional, sure, we get access to some funding, but we become developed and our green wedge protections get lifted um, and we don't, we will not be the peninsula that we know it anymore. Um, so, you know, our wineries, our niche agricultural produce, um, just our paddocks, you know, which are next to towns, which are next to the beach, it, it will change the landscape. And we certainly do need to develop um because we are projected to have an increased population, but we need to do it in such a small and smart way that it doesn't affect the landscape and we don't end up with urban sprawl. <clears throat> and that's what, you know, the council are pushing for um, to just develop in the three hubs, Mornington, um, I think it's Rosebud and Hastings, um, but to keep the, not, you know, develop outside of that really. So I'm I'm actually with the council on being peri-regional, which means that we stay as metropolitan. Our green mm. wedge protection remains protected, but we are open to some regional grants. So, you know, small businesses um, will get some more grant opportunities that they don't currently get with metropolitan. Um, but, you know, there are benefits to being metropolitan as well. So first home buyers... Um, get a grant in metropolitan for a house up to 950,000 whereas if you're regional it's only 600,000 you can't buy a house down on the peninsula for 600,000 mm. so we do yeah. miss out on some things if we become regional as well so yeah i think it's important to protect that green wedge that uh, peri regional classification that's a new one that's trying to be introduced is that correct Correct. So there's currently peri-urban, which is regional areas that stay regional but have some access to metropolitan grants, and that seems to have worked fine. So we're trying to do the opposite. We're metropolitan trying to access regional grants, and that's new. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, look, we had a, a question in the, the chat which got onto a topic that we were, I was also curious about uh, yeah. from, from Giant Kangaroo. Would you consider yourself teal? there's that's possibly a question uh -huh. you're, 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 you're sick of, of hearing i mean you're associated uh -huh. with the teals but you've clearly stated your your independence so uh what's your opinion on the future of the teals both as a descriptive group or as a possible party and what impact would that have on you mm. first and foremost i'm a community independent so um you know mm. we set up from the community, by the community, all the volunteers are our community, our donations predominantly are the community. Um, and the, the model is community representation. So, you know, we've knocked thousands of doors. Our issues are the local issues. That is a job that I'm here to do. In terms of Teal, it's a movement. It's like any social movement um, where you're trying to achieve um, similar outcomes, which is getting women into parliament. Um, and getting action on climate change um, are the main ones and integrity in politics. So I'd say that um, those were issues we identified down here and then other independents who are calling themselves Teal have identified them also in their areas. But I don't know them. I haven't reached out to anyone personally. Um, yeah, I, in terms of it being a party, to right. me a party is you can't, um, you have to vote on party lines. Um, you have to have membership yeah. with a party. So the teal colour is more about um, an ideological movement with people um, running an independent community-based campaign, running on gender, climate, integrity. Yeah. Um, so I, I do subscribe to those issues because they're what have come up here and that's what I experienced as a doctor is um, health, integrity and, you know, climate is a huge health issue as well and I've been working on that. Um, for years so that's up yeah I mean yeah. I guess it is t I am teal um, is it a party absolutely not um, yep. and if it was I wouldn't be doing this 
Yeah. Well, look, that's a good way to describe it is because uh, I notice on your website you've got the, the teal colouring as, as well. That's a good way to mm -hmm. describe it as, as, as signalling a almost sort of philosophical, political philosophical direction. Yeah, and a model of doing politics in a way that mm. is community-based rather than um, being pre-selected by a party and having to please the party and subscribe to their values. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And on that note, we might wrap up your interview. Kate, thank you for your time. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. That's been great. Great having you join us. We appreciate that. Thank you. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you. Well, that was, that was really fantastic personally, you know, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I, I think that was a great interview. Oh, I was very, I particularly found it uh, interesting what Kate was talking about with that, uh, with the healthcare system. I, mm. you know, I, I oftentimes find that there's a, a call to, to spend more money on the, the highly visible things uh, such as, you know, look, here's, here's a shiny new building. But what Kate was saying about let's look at what we've got, but within that change the uh, <clears throat> how we're training people up, how we ensure that existing more existing beds are are opened, uh, looking at different management practices. I thought that was I thought that was refreshing to hear. Yeah, and. Really, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think independence and the wave of independence are probably here to stay for a little bit. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they kind of impact the political landscape. Yes, yes, look, it, it, it will. Um, and uh, I thought some of those, the local issues, excuse me, that she was talking about, obviously I've got uh, an opinion because I'm down this this way. Uh, they seem to hit the the nail on the the head. So I'll be very interested to I'll, I'll be very interested to see how uh, how Kate goes in this this election, as as I will with uh, many of the other other independents. As we mm. keep saying, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how the uh, uh, the preference of of people shift this election as well. Indeed. So we might move into our last topic for today, uh, which is the ads, the fantastic oh, campaign ads. We all love them when they come across our uh, view, don't we? So oh. I'm just basically using just the Google ads at this stage because uh, Google does provide ad transparency for political parties that, does use, that do use their platform. And the main reason why I wanted to talk about this today is sorry just just run back a bit yeah. just just clarify what you're meaning by by that with the google ads i didn't that didn't quite make sense oh, so if you go to adtransparency.google.com uh, ad um yeah the, you can follow the links and then it, it'll take you to the political advertising uh that google basically has served to people uh, and then it'll tell you like who the advertiser was how much was spent you can even actually oh, watch the ad right. if the video ad it's it's a really good tool um, Auntie, which political party do you expect has currently spent the most money on digital advertising? Or do I expect to spend the most on digital advertising? Yeah. Uh, what, out, of, out of everyone uh, co competing or just Labor and Liberal? Out of everyone competing in the last 30 days. I would probably be saying... Um, uh, the libs, based on you what would, I've seen, you would be wrong. The Labor Party has spent one hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars on Google digital advertising in the last thirty days, whereas mm. Liberals have only spent half of that at seventy k. Uh, now, when no, you yeah. so, if I'm so, for example, look, I suppose from from my point of view. Uh, I tend to use the Brave browser, which cuts a lot of, if not all of the the ads. Um, mm -hmm. I don't tend to use Google as my my search. I use use PreSearch um, as my search engine or Brave Brave search. So there's possibly a whole lot that I'm not getting exposed to from that point. And look, I guess liberal because there was just a 
I think it came through on, on YouTube every now and then. It throws me out to a YouTube link rather than within my Brave browser and I'm subjected to the advertising and I seem to have just been getting mainly liberals. Certainly didn't, uh, wouldn't have expected double spend. Yeah, right. It was it was really surprising for me because especially it kind of really paints a dire situation when you then compare the Liberals to the actual uh, Victorian Greens because the Liberals have spent 70.5k over the last 30 days, whereas the Victorian Greens have spent 31.4. So, like, you would expect the Liberals to be doing generally better. I don't know if you'd expect the Victorian Greens to be you know, having spent so much on digital advertising themselves. But just that kind of clear labor has blown everyone out in the water away um, was really kind of surprising to me. And so I decided to, you know, have a little deeper look in their ads. And they have so many. There are so many ads, so many duplicates. It's kind of surprising. Um, the ALP does seem to be going with the Matthew guy is a liberals cuts guy. So, you know, uh, do, do, you find, do you find that clumsy? I've, 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 I I've seen that on the bull bird, bull bird <laughs> the, the billboard, and I thought Matthew Guy is the Liberals' cut. It's it's like a tongue twister. Yeah, it's not great. Um, I certainly, you know, if I was the LP, I certainly would be using uh, Guy's name in some kind of marketing, um, just as if I was also a member of the Liberals, I would. But Matthew Guy is the Liberals' cut guy is. Yeah, it's a bit of a tongue twister. I probably would have just gone with something like um, Matthew Guy is not your guy. Just like something yeah, fairly yep, simple yep. like that. Yep. Um, it might be a bit corny, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. But basically, the ads for Labor fall into kind of two categories. Either uh, Matthew Guy is the worst person in existence um, and should be like thrown away and. Um, and never be seen from again. Or we've got a great, like, TAFE and kinder policy. That's kind of how they're falling into. Um, <clears throat> whereas the Liberals really are just going on, like, put Labour last generic messaging. Yeah. Um, which, again, it's, it's just not great. Um, it's really uninspired messaging. Yeah. It's Have just, you found it's... any of it inspiring? Oh, look, I've I've seen. I did see the um, uh, the, the liberal ad that had uh, the the list of new taxes by by Dan, and also there was another one. Uh, yeah, him, yeah, Daniel Andrews saying, yeah, "I'm responsible," and then the uh, things that he actually wasn't taking responsibility for. And I thought, oh, that wasn't too bad. But there's nothing that's really had any cut through for me. Maybe I'm I'm not the target audience, but what about you? You seen anything that's particularly yeah. excited you? Not really. Um again, let's like we already touched on the how Matthew Guy is a liberal's cuts guy from the ALP. Whereas from the Liberal Party we've got real solutions for all Victorians. Vote liberal. Um or a liberal government will fix the health crisis without raising taxes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, feels, it feels very uh, bog standard at this stage. Um, I do know that the liberals were, that they were kind of toying with their branding, uh, leaning quite heavily into like the COVID response. But I think that's kind of fallen flat at this stage. Um, and without it, I think... Liberals are kind of lost at this stage. They were planning on campaigning heavily on Andrew's COVID response and you know lockdown sentiment, yeah. and that's kind of really, in my opinion, evaporated. I will just touch on the Greens advertising, which at least yep. does seem more upbeat. Um, it's you know make housing affordable and get out of coal and gas. Um, yeah, you know, just kind of generic vote Greens, which. I mean, I kind of like because they use brighter colours and they don't just immediately slag someone off. But mm. eh, maybe I'm maybe I'm too naive for the political world. Uh, look, I certainly agree with the the colours thing. I haven't. I I'm just thinking black and white and red and blue for both the uh, and. Elizabeth. 
Oops, you're cutting out there, Adi. Maybe black and white and green is no different to black and white and red and blue. So um, mm. I don't know. But look, I haven't I haven't been bowled over by anything I've seen from the the, the greens advertising wise yet. Uh, and I don't know whether they're targeting. I don't know whether the audiences they're they're targeting. They just don't think it's required. I, I felt like the federal elections had a, a, a few more exciting ads. Yeah, they certainly did. And as much as I hate it, as much as I despise it with every fibre of my being, <laughs> every now and then I will still remember in my head, there's a hole in your budget, dear Labour, dear Labour. <laughs> and it just, every time I remember it, um, <laughs> I, I get a little bit more angry at uh, Scott Morrison. But, <laughs> but we can't deny that they did work. Well, yes. Look, they, they they did. So as you as you discussed before, coming up to the um, as we get closer to the the finishing line, we may well see a well. We typically see a new round of ads come out, um, and if they're not getting much traction from the ones that are currently in play, assuming we're correct, I mean they may <laughs> well be getting getting a good response from them. But if they're not getting much traction, it's going to be interesting to see what they. Uh, what, what they changed to, but I don't think they could do any worse. No, probably not. Um, it will be interesting to flag just before we wrap up for the day that so far the UAP hasn't spent any money uh, in the last 30 days on advertising despite, mm. you know, announcing their campaign, which I think really kind of highlights that Clive is not very interested in chucking away a bunch of money on the Victorian election. Look, it could it could be. I guess, uh, yeah, we'll wait wait and see what happens. But uh, they've certainly had a lot of uh, presence early on in pre in the last few elections. So if they're not doing that now, it's either a change in um, a change in approach, or it's a uh, as you said, Clive may not be interested in the money. Yeah. All right. I think on that note, we might wrap up for today. Uh, it's been fantastic talking with you again, Ardeet. You too as well, uh, Apricot. And thank you for getting uh, Dr. Kate Lardner organised. That was that was a good interview. I enjoyed uh, enjoyed hearing what she had to say. Indeed. Thank you very much. All right, Thanks, everyone. Apricot. Have a great day. Speak to you later. See ya. Bye.